Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I learned these verses uh, when I was a child in Sunday school. And many of you might recall there was a song that we always loved the ending the guys did. It was that 1 John 4, 7 and 8. That was the end of the song. We would just hammer that ending. And it was forever etched in our memories. Great verses. Let's, let's read these verses. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. We have a special joy this morning. I want to welcome two guests that are with us. I'll introduce Joe in a second, but also welcome to Rachel Sorsengruber Miller, uh, who is the Vice President of, of Advancement at Heston College. Um, we, I know we have many, many Heston connections here, but it's great to have, uh, to have Rachel with us and, and Joe. Joe was uh, born in Thailand. His parents were missionaries from India and uh, we'll tell that story. Um, he grew up in a family that was deeply committed to seeing God's love translated into the local context, crossing all kinds of barriers and many forms and crossing cultures in many ways. He completed his high school, and I'm jumping ahead a bit, he completed his high school in, in North Canton, Ohio. Uh, so he's had a little time here in the Midwest, and um, Joe attended Heston College when, and this was where he encountered the Anabaptist perspective uh, on the biblical narrative for the first time. Joe has had a connection with Heston in different ways. He went on to graduate from Goshen College and uh, then returned to Heston in the admissions department as well. Joe, in 1984, married Wanda Wise uh, in Yoder, Kansas. In 96, they moved to Southern California to my old stomping grounds for, four, for almost five years. And there he began his studies at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. It was during this chapter uh, in Southern California that Wanda and Joe's daughter Faith and son Matthew were born. The Manicum family uh, then moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 2005 where Joseph took up a, a position with the Mennonite Central Committee uh, and uh, continued and proceeded to go on to become the area director for the Asia program. Joe's travel throughout Asia connected him to the pulse of the global church even more. They then moved to Thailand for three years serving there uh, and uh, Joe and Wanda established the MCC Asia regional office there. Joe has been a dedicated follower of Christ. 
Joe has served in so many ways, and in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2016, uh, he became president of Heston College and uh, the ninth president of the college. Um, how many here are graduates or have a family member that's connected to Heston in some way? If you would just lift your hands up. There's quite a few. It's, uh, it's truly a joy to have Joe with us this morning. A great servant of the Lord, someone who has pursued God's leading and call for his life in so many ways, internationally and here and in uh, the little town of Heston, Kansas, and serving as in a college that uh, is, is very dear to us, and we, we appreciate all that, uh, that Joe is doing, and, and it's good to have you, Rachel, here with us as well. Joe, would you come on up? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done in Joe's life and his family and the wonderful model of faith in his parents. Pray that you would bless him, especially today. Give him your words, Lord. We thank you for the message of your love and for these words from your, from your word. And I pray that you will just speak through Joe and give us inspiring uh, words through your Holy Spirit to translate everything into our lives in a way that our faith is deepened and strengthened, that we might serve you more, and that we would just be blessed with your presence and your voice through Joe today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Good morning, my sisters and brothers. It is such an honor to be here with you. As, as I pulled into the parking lot this morning, I was trying to recall when was the last time I was here, and it was probably the 1980s when I came here with the Heston College Choir, um, but it is, it is wonderful to be here, the, you know, the, the name Yellow Creek Mennonite has, has been there, part of me, f- for quite a while. So about three weeks ago, I was in Indonesia at Mennonite World Conference, and at Mennonite World Conference, the global church came together, and it was a global church that reads the Bible in a particular way, right? We Anabaptists come with a particular story, with a particular perspective on the gospel story and the ministry of Jesus the Christ. And to sit among these sisters and brothers from across the world was a phenomenal, and I mean phenomenal, experience. The last two years, the globe has been in a nutty shape with COVID. We've been isolated, moved into the corners. And at this Mennonite World Conference, that was real. It was present. When I've been to these events in the past, there would be 6,000, 7,000 of us from around the world gathered, worshiping in languages that many of us did not know telling stories that seemed foreign but yet were so real. This time there's maybe 600, maybe. Um, It was small, but the church was there and it was real. And I share that story with you this morning to say this. You all are part of something larger. You're not alone. You're not alone. And there's witnesses out there who are walking with you that you don't even know about. 
and their sisters and brothers spread across this world who are like you, following Jesus Christ the best they can. And it's not easy, like it's not easy for you. We are weird people. We're strange. Not just talking Mennonites, but I'm saying Christians. We don't make sense to folks in this world at all. And by the way, if you feel like people are starting to understand you, but they don't know God, there's probably something wrong with your faith. I'm going to be that blunt, if I may. Forgive me if I'm offending you. That's not my intent. But I'm trying to make a point here, my sisters and my brothers, because one of the privileges I have had is to worship with people from around the world, Christians around the world, and everywhere I go, we're all a little off kilter. We're all just off one notch. We don't make sense to the world. Among the things that I've done, just before coming to Heston College, I worked at a university in northern Thailand where I taught in their PhD program in peace studies. And this, and this program looked at issues surrounding faith-justified violence. So how would people of all different religious groups, how, 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 do, how do they come along and use their, use their faith to justify acts of violence. And I had other colleagues who taught with me, professors who are Muslim, part of the Muslim community, Buddhists who are part of the Buddhist community, Sikhs who are part of the Sikh community. And we all would come to the table with the same puzzlement. We'd be like, when we read our scripture, we don't understand how our community can justify this. In the same way that I look at Christians who use the biblical text to justify acts of violence, they were struggling with their faith communities as well. So one of the privileges I had on the faculty was to be that Christian apologist, we call it. And what that meant was I would give a defense, a Christian defense, for what it means to be worshiping a loving God. A God that loves all people, and as we as Christians commit to following Jesus, we commit to a particular pathway of following Jesus. And the thing was, when I would tell people that I'm a Mennonite, they say, oh, you Mennonites, you've got something there. You've got something there that needs to be spoken that needs to be modeled, that needs to be shared. You Mennonites have something to offer the world. You need to know that, my sisters and brothers. That there's people in this world that look at us Mennonites and say, you need to be louder. You can't be these quiet in the land anymore. And when you look at the world in which we live, we cannot remain quiet in the land anymore. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the world is hungering for. But they don't understand it. The scripture text this morning, coming out of 1 John, is the text that I selected for our campus for this coming year. Each year, there's a theme verse that I select, and, and it's a verse that, that faculty and others use to, to maybe set their curriculum for their class around, or we might have events or chapels around this theme, and we focus in on it. 
But this idea that God is love. God is love, okay? God is love. God isn't doing love. God isn't acting love. He does love, he acts love. But God is love is a statement. God is love is a statement. But, but to look at that, to understand where the author of 1 John is coming from, you have to understand the community into which John, well, the, the author was speaking from. And in this community, the question that the community was wrestling with is, who is this Christ? Who is this Christ? Jesus. Who is this Christ? Is Christ human or is Christ God? And there is this duality, right? You and I know that. We've heard about that in Sunday school since we're young. God, Jesus, human. And for us, we probably don't think about it too much. One of the challenges I want to give you today is to get serious about that question. This question of is God, God? I mean, is Jesus God or is Jesus human? Because in other religious groups, it doesn't make sense. When they think about their gods, you go into the Hindu temples, the images of God, half human, half something else. And those are their images. But you look at their images that they have of their gods, none of them look like you and me. But our image of Jesus is fully human. And this idea that God or even a God, holy, divine, creator, would come and take on a human form like you and me, others don't understand that. They don't get that. It doesn't make sense to them. When I talk to my Muslim friends, they say, what is this, Joe? You're cheapening God by making them human. Right? They don't understand this. You go read the Quran, it talks about Jesus. Wonderful prophet, but fully human, not God. Right? People don't understand Jesus, and, and that's what this community was struggling with, where the scripture is written. This idea is God human or is God God? And where does Jesus fit in? And, and so as we get into the scripture here, this is some of the things that I believe my sisters and brothers, that we need to be clear about. Because when we understand Jesus, and if we are to say that Jesus is God, and God is love, what does that mean for our understanding of Jesus and Jesus' teachings, right? And one of the scriptures I, I love to, 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 to wrestle with and work with, and, and it's probably the one that... that um, is most difficult for me, I'll confess. And it's in the words of Jesus, comes out of Matthew 22, right? You know the passage, verse 34. talks about the two commandments. You love your God with all of your being, everything that's part of you, your love God, with everything that you are, everything. Oh, and the second one, like it, 
you love your neighbor, right? But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there, right? You love your neighbor like you love yourself. But who is? And for me, to understand that question of who we are, we have to go even deeper into Scripture to understand you, my sisters and brother, and me are created in God's loving image. So how can we say we love God? Do you hear what I'm getting at here? How can we claim to love love, God, if we don't love ourselves, created in God's loving image, broken, I get it, not quite right, I get it, not in right relationships, I get it, but nonetheless created in God's loving image. And it's within that same love, that same relationship with God that we're called to love our neighbor. And all the other commandments are what? In Matthew, hangs on these two. So when we try to understand all of these little rules and sub-laws and everything else we have, it's seen through these two commandments, right? So when we talk about love here in 1 John, this idea that God is love, there's a duality then that's set up to say, if you're of love, then you're of God. But if you're not of love, then you're not of God. It's kind of the simple thing. Are you of love or aren't you? I'd like to share a story with you and, and in conclusion and offer a challenge. So back in April, I had the privilege of traveling with our, with our students to Thailand. So last fall, we launched a new business management program, and it's, as part of this business management program, the cohorts um, get to travel. And it's, it's a travel program, and so they go visit entrepreneurs in different places. Last fall, they're in Colorado uh, and in the local area. But this last spring is their international cross-cultural. So I went to Thailand with them. And so Debbie McAllister, the director of the program, and I led them, uh, co-led them on this trip to Thailand. And, the, and what we looked at, what we were studying on this, is we went into the coffee industry in Thailand. Any coffee drinkers here? If there are, this was your dream tour. You should have gone with us. <laughs> but we got to meet with coffee producers and entrepreneurs across Thailand. But one of the most uh, incredible experiences we had was we traveled to this Christian community. It's, it's, they're actually this... It's an indigenous group called the Karen people that live on the Thai-Burmese border. And I don't know if you're aware of, of things that are happening on the Thai-Burma border, but Burma has been in the civil war for, for decades now, violence on and off. And the indigenous people kind of sit on both sides of the border, uh, the Karen people do in, in this case. So we're on the Thailand side of the border, about 20 kilometers in, in this jungle that's in the middle of nowhere, and I mean nowhere. We're driving, had to drive hours to get into the jungles, finally find the village, but you break into this valley area, and it's gorgeous, kind of on these two mountainsides down in the valley, 
And the Karen people there are producing coffee up in the hills, um, in, in, among the jungles, among the trees. We got to hike through the different jungles, look at the different coffee plants, and all the coffee beans are picked by hand. And the reason they're picked by hand and grown this way is because Starbucks will buy the coffee beans from them and actually give them a really, really good price because it's a high-quality coffee. Um, yeah, I, I kind of became a believer of Starbucks after this trip because of some of the stuff they're doing, and their coffee tastes a little bit better now. <laughs> but the amazing thing is that, I don't know how many of you know about this, but the coffee season is only three months. Around in November, they'll go out and start plucking the seeds, processing, and by February, end of February, they're done. And the other nine months, these folks who are growing these natural coffee beans really don't do anything. And this particular village um, has been, there's been a number of companies coming in and said, you know what, if you'll just take out your trees, open up your fields, use our, use our beans, we'll give you chemicals to grow, you can get four crops in a year time. You won't get as much money for your beans because Starbucks will no longer buy your beans, but you can make substantially more money and you can work year round. And so this Christian community came together and they talked about it and said, yeah, we could make more money, that could be nice. And then they said, but what are we missing? What do we not have today that we actually need? We have houses, we got cars, we got phones. We're able to send our kids off to universities to get education. What more do we need? And as they went on to tell their story, they said, right now, we work hard at coffee three months out of the year. But the remaining nine months, there's a number of other activities they do, including the herd sheep. And, and it's, it's actually kind of funny. I, any sheep farmers in here? Any? I, I've, I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe it's, coming obvi- it's becoming obvious. But, but what they do is they have this flock of sheep. I think that's what you call them, right? And... And the families, every week, will pass them around. And each week, a different family in this village will go and care for the sheep and take care of it. And then they collect the wool, make wool out of it and comb it out and make scarves and other things to sell, products, other products. And I said, so you're you're doing all this production, but why? Why are you doing this? And they said, we have neighbors on the Burma side of the border who are being persecuted by the Burmese army. They can't create a livelihood for themselves. They can't generate money. Even though they can produce coffee like we do, they can't sell it to Starbucks like we do because it's illegal for them to, and Starbucks won't go into Burma. So because we only work for three months, we can spend the other nine months looking out for our neighbors, on the other side of the border. And they said, the reason we didn't go and start producing 12 months out of the year, Joe, is because what happens to our neighbors matter. And as we've read the Bible, this is what we believe Jesus is teaching us. That this love that God has given us, that we are part of, must be shared with our neighbors It's not something that is just for us. This blessing 
that we get is not just about us. We're a conduit for this blessing, Joe. And if all we did was looked out for the bottom line, if all we did was look to see how much money we had in our checkbook, that wouldn't be love, Joe. And we talked about the scripture, and, we, and, we, and, 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 the, and, and the students sat there and just listened. And for me, that, trans, that transformation for our students was deep. But it's, but it's this idea of following Jesus that the world does not understand. These companies that come in and talk to these villagers that say, why would you not want to make more money? They don't get it because they don't get Jesus. And when you don't get Jesus, you don't understand what true love is. So in this passage, as we're called in this place of, is Jesus God? Is Jesus human? It's both, isn't it? And it's this thin line where Jesus came down to earth, was one of us, among us, incarnate, with us, teaching us, showing us what this love is like and how it's to be lived. And when we claim to be a Christian, we're claiming to be followers of this Jesus, and we're called to walk in this path, in this God who calls us to love. So in closing, I want to pass along a, a small challenge so this last year, I did something with our students. And, and what I did was I, I said, um, I've got the sticker. I don't know if any of you can read the sticker or not. It's kind of small print, but it says, be kind. Be kind. And I said, what I want you to do is take one of these stickers, go place it on your water bottle, or go put it on your car. Put it somewhere where people will see it and hold you accountable to it. This thing about love sometimes gets away from us. It seems ambiguous, it seems big. But do something simple. Just be kind. Church, Christians, sisters, my brothers, can we maybe commit to this? Just maybe one act of kindness? a day, what would that do to the world and how they see us and understand us? How would they see Jesus maybe through this act? This was my challenge to our students, and it's my challenge to you as well today, sisters and brothers. The world needs Jesus, make no mistake. The world is hungering for Jesus, make no mistakes. In our relationship to God, through Jesus, we hold a gem that the world is longing for but many know nothing about. Let's take that challenge to be faithful in following Jesus and to spread that in our own action, in our own lives. Let's come together in prayer. Creator God, I come to you with with grateful hearts. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ministry and the mission that's been not only in this area but throughout the world through the decades. Lord, I ask that you come and be with our sisters and brothers here today. 
Continue to fill them with your spirit, with your love, Lord, with your love. Show them ways to translate this love to their neighbors. Give them the strength. Give them the wisdom. Give them the courage. Lord, I lift them up to you today, Lord. And these things we pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Page number 12 in the blue book.